Hello and what is up, Bowl Crew? Before we get to the podcast that you are here to listen to, I just want to make a special announcement. The Twin Cities by Night crew has decided to add an additional member to the gang. What does that entail? That means that not only will you be able to potentially play in a future Demon the Fallen game that we will be running for a podcast and YouTube series, but you'll also be able to become part of the gang and be involved in future podcasts and other games that we may have going on on the channel. So how can you apply for this? First, you'll need to stop by our Discord that you can find in this podcast description and get details on how to apply. We'll be accepting applications until September 30th, 2018. And from there, we'll make a decision. We will let you know if you are the one who will become part of the Twin Cities by Night gang. I hope to see you all there. And if you have any questions, you can reach out to us on that same Discord. Good luck. Now I bring to you the future podcast. Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome back to Twin Cities by Night and our third story arc, Dread. Dread is set in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, Minneapolis, and St. Paul in the hot and humid summer of 2011. Join us again and continue to follow the journey of Katow, played by Quinn, and William, played by Slavic, as they continue to traverse the dark society held within the Twin Cities. They will be joined by three new kindred, Warren, a Tremere, played by Adam, Valentine, a Nosferatu, played by Alex, and Lenny, a Nosferatu, played by Andrew. The Quarterly will find themselves joined together by a sense of dread. If you would like to contact us, you can follow us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM or Facebook at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. So, William, you are driving out of the parking lot of that of the park in your Beamer. You kind of see in your rearview mirror, like the silhouette of Katow as he's like watching you drive off. The rain has already started tapering off a little bit. You still have moisture that's on your windshield and you know you can kind of feel the moisture in the air still when the driver's side window was rolled down slightly with all that you found out about the putinesca brothers kind of what they said the information you were able to pry out of them through i guess a form of intimidation that both you and katow did seeing that they kind of knew your true nature well what's going on in your head with that like what with what you have found out yeah i think like uh William's really just, just annoyed at all this shit that it's just happening. Everything that's just happening right now. It's like piles and pump piles and layers and layers of stuff. And he's just really glad that they sort of uh, really scared those fuckers. That made him feel really good. So that's kind of one thing that we've been noticing yeah. and dread with a lot of the characters including yourself now is the fact that you feel at oftentimes not in control of your situation and your surroundings and your environment. And you're saying at that moment with the Putinesca brothers, being able to get the information and scaring the shit out of them, you felt like you were in control of something again. Exactly. It's like the rush of power he got, you know, from intimidating them. Now, would you say that you feel the biggest sense of, accomplishment because that rush of power or because like kind of like the confirmation or i guess information that you received from them yeah i guess well 
the information, you know, that's that's useful and that's a sort of work-related satisfaction that he gets from that. But the intimidation, that's a sort of uh, personal satisfaction, you know, just uh, something he enjoys. Well, yeah, it's like with the with the beast being really close to you at the moment and you your your thin like layer of protection. Exactly. You have eroding, right? You gotta feed it yeah. once in a while. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like a very primal sort of thing, which is, you know, I'm at humanity three right now, which just beasts always there, always clawing. It's it's like harder to distinguish between the man and the beast. Well, it's a very tragic too. I mean, in the in the fact that you look at you, especially the two people who were involved in that scene, both you and Katow, are fundamentally different in, in the last, you know, whatever six seven months. Just that, that that's a relatively short amount of time to go through such changes, you know. And it seems yeah. to be just culminating and going faster and faster. You know, yeah, it's a very, it's, it's, I can see definitely why William feels empowered by that. So, with William driving off, well, what's your plan of action right now? What, what do you want William to be doing? Well, there is one thing that William wanted to do, and that he sort of, you know, things kept c coming up and he couldn't uh, do it, is that he wanted to talk to Ellsworth. Definitely. So you do have his phone number. You do have a vo you know a voice message that was left by him. You could choose to call him on your Bluetooth now, or it's kind of your decision what, how you'd like to handle that. So yeah, I'll probably call him on the hands free. You go ahead and you kind of like push the button on the dashboard of your car there that signifies calling, and you go through your history real quick by the up down button that's right next to your stereo interface, and you see the number and you hit connect, and you kind of hear the warm uh, ringing sound come through shoot through your speakers your high-end speaker system that you have in your beamer and on the second or third ring you hear a pickup and you're like william mr ellsworth yeah I was, here. I was wondering if you're gonna be calling me back man i'm not i'm not used uh, to having to wait i'm very sorry but unfortunately i was very busy very very busy lately and you know how it goes. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, trust me. I'm not worried at all about you standing me up. I knew sooner or later you'd call me when you have time. But, uh, hey, you free tonight? You doing anything? No, not really. How about this, so, man? You know you know the hotel, the Ivy? And you do know this hotel is dead. Okay. It's a pretty nice hotel. Uh -huh. uh, there's, yeah. that bar, there's that bar, the Constantine, down there. Would You, you want to meet me up there, have a couple drinks? Sounds like a good idea. How about this? Uh, do you need a ride there? I can come by and pick you up, or do you want to meet me there? It's your call, man. I'll meet you there. It's no problem for me. No problem at all. All right. I'll be inside. You'll probably see me in there, right? All right. See you there. Yes, sir. And you hear the phone click as you continue to drive. Are you heading right straight there, or is there anything you want to do before you get there? I'd probably go straight there. So you, you start leaving the more rural area of the parks, you know, that are along the Missouri River there, and you start cutting into the downtown section where you kind of start seeing these, like, you know, the Ivy Hotel is a really nice, immaculate hotel, almost like, like, almost like in the pattern of the Waldorf or, you know, hotels that are like, that were probably originally built like in the 20s or 30s, but are, are, are kept 
in great condition, you know, made with thick stone, you know, or not as flashy as some, but rather tall. You know, the 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 Ivy is a is a hotel that's about 15, 16 stories high. You when when you get to the building, you see that it's made from like a gray cement of almost like a lack of a better term, gothic architecture style where you kind of see that there's columns up front and that there's like, you know, some gargoyles that are like probably like on the ninth or 10th floor, you know, like about that height that kind of look down upon it. And within a lot of hotels of this quality and of, of, of this luxury, there are often really nice bars that people go to most of the time. It's not even the guests of the hotel who go there, but usually high end people. And, and you know that the Constantine is a bar that a lot of the people who are in the business industry, real estate industry within the Twin Cities will go to usually people like in the 20s and 30s. And you kind of are actually hit with almost like a tide of, of memories of like wanting to be part of that crowd back in the 80s, you know, before you're embraced, you know, especially in the 80s, you know, the 80s of the heyday of the Wall Street of the of the Reagan Reaganomics of the yuppies. And, and, and they, you know, this bar was just as powerful and, and just as, as such a meeting place as it was back then as it is now because now in the twin cities 50 of the fortune 500 companies are located in the twin cities and so you have a lot of power players and movers and shakers in their 20s and their 30s who will go here for drinks but most of them are more subtle than the wall street types or like the silicon valley types or anything like that they're not their faces aren't all over magazines and their names aren't well known and they just usually come here for a quiet atmosphere and for to have drinks and have dinner or drinks with people of similar stature so when you get to the get to the ivy your car's driving through these streets where water's still collected from the rain the rain just stopped about 20 or 30 minutes ago and you can kind of see the lights of like the the red, green, and yellow of the of the street lights, or you can see the overhead lights that that bring illumination to the streets, kind of reflect off the puddles. And you slowly pull your car over to the curb where you know there's valet, and you see that there's like a kind of like a little stand tent where there are two valets standing underneath it, and there's a little standing desk where they would get keys and such, and 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 go and take people's car to a to a overhead parking. And as you drive up, you see one come walking around and it's almost like with you, like a pattern, I would say, like you're used to such behavior where you open your door, someone's there, you hand them your keys, they get in the vehicle, they drive off and you're able to go walk. And so you hand your keys to this valet and he gets into your car and without like even a moment hesitation, the car drives off as you walk down this like maroon carpet that's a little wet from the rain that just happened and you walk up these cement steps into these double glass doors that have like these huge like wooden handles that have brass at the end and you pull it open and as you pull the door open you come into a walkway and you see again another kind of standing desk and you hear this warm sound of conversation not loud arrogant you know brash conversation you would hear in bars or sporting bars or such like that but a low hum of education of wealth of influence that seems to be coming and you kind of look around because right now like you're standing like on this little i guess you're above the floor because you'd have to go three steps down to be able to go like where walk amongst these tables in a bar but you see as you're looking around there's about there's about 10 tables that are 
you know, normal tables you see at nicer restaurants. Some are booths and you see there's a really elaborate bar that's towards the right end. You see a bartender there that has like a black tie on with a white shirt, you know, nice crisp and starch that's working behind the bar. You hear like uh, uh, you hear music, but it's not overbearing. And it's not like it's, it's contemporary, you know, top 100 alternative rock type music that you just kind of hear lowly playing in the background and you're looking around and this place this establishment is rather large it's about like from what you can gauge it's about 200 square foot by 200 square foot you know it's it's it's, it's a rather large environment where there where there's people enough room for people to mingle and it has a good amount of people in there right now but all like i said are sitting or standing along the bar but you see off towards the left you see the floor rises a little bit again, like there's two or three steps and you see that there's this, there's this nicer table that is sitting there rounder, dark wood. And you see that like three quarters of it, the end of it goes, has a booth that goes around it to where like people can sit there and talk. And then a waiter could walk up to the open end and take orders. And you see the figure of Hardy Ellsworth, they sit in there, but it's really dim. It kind of has like, that area, the light's not as bright. There's like this hanging light that has like this tan shade around it that's above the table. It gives enough illumination, but also gives a sense of privacy where people who are walking kind of down on the little lower area or whatever, not only can't they hear conversations, but they can't really like stare in there and see. And you can kind of see he's just sitting there. He has like this, like kind of a sky blue shirt on that has a white, white along the wrist like the cuffs around the wrist but it's rolled up a little bit and it has like white pinstripes he's not wearing a tie uh but he still looks starched and presentable and he you can kind of see part of his gray slacks but you can't really see anything else he has like this blonde dirty blonde hair that's kind of parted on the side a little bit but slicked back but you can see there's gray at his temples and it's very like very sharp almost like roman features in a way like very distinct cheekbones you know he has a nose that's almost slightly hawkish and he has like very straw jaw jawline but he doesn't look to be like he looks like he's in shape for his age but if you were to guess by looking at him you'd say he's a man who probably just broke the cusp of 50 but he looks like he takes care of his body rather well and you see he just has this glass of what you assume to be whiskey and he's just kind of like tapping like on the on the glass with his finger and you notice when he's tapping it has like this really nice like rolex watch but he doesn't with his face and his mannerisms when you see him he looks relaxed he doesn't look on edge he doesn't look like he's uncomfortable he looks like he's there to have a drink and there's a moment where you see him scanning the room and, he, and then you see that he sees you there and he kind of just gets eye contact with you and you kind of see he motions you forward to come forward and you see the maitre d who was about to walk up to you to ask you if you need to be seated kind of steps away when he sees like that unspoken communication between you two Mr. Ellsworth, a pleasure to meet you again. William will sort of, you know, put his hand out, do the whole greeting shtick. Yeah, he stands up and he shakes your hand. And then he just kind of like motions you to sit in the booth. He's like, have a seat, have a seat. You want to drink? What are you drinking tonight? Uh, I'll just have a whiskey. You see a motion to, to this waitress who comes walking up and she also too is like wearing like a black tie with a white shirt and dark slacks and he's like yep another one and he kind of motions like to his class and then to you and you see she nods and 
you see like you're you're sitting there and you're about to start a conversation with them and then you see how quick the service is she's back yeah. right away she like lays a napkin down and puts this like nice crystal glass in front of you and you see like he pulls out this gold cigarette case and he sits it on the table and he's like you mind if i smoke go ahead you see. know i really wish all my business meetings were in places like this <laughs> buddy buddy you, you think this is just i get this is just me wanting to get to know you a little bit this isn't a business meeting but i get what you mean like you yeah you know places like this so to be honest with you while i like to come here most of the time i like to come here just to people watching you see kind of like pops open his gold cigarette case and pulls one out kind of taps the end on the table and then pulls out the zipper and lights it and then you see the waitress just seems to be there again with this like deep crystal ashtray you know those heavy ones that could be like almost oh, yeah. like real like weapons and he sits there and he like <laughs> he like puts the ash in there he takes the drag he's like you want one i think i will all right and he kind of just slides it over and you see there's a moment where he like takes a drag of the cigarette and you see like he's squinting through the smoke that kind of rises up through his nostrils into his eyes he takes a picks up his glass of whiskey and he takes a sip of it and he's like yeah sometimes i come in here and i look at these people and he kind of like nods towards all these yuppies that are down there talking both male and females and he's like it's kind of one of the one of the things that kind of made me want to call this place home to be honest with you mm, so you like to people watch then yeah you know it's you can learn a lot especially at my age mm. you've kind of seen things trends go trends past but you can always learn from this city. I've noticed if you watch the people sometimes like this, it's relaxing. I find it to put me at ease sometimes. You see him take a drag of a cigarette again. Yeah, I'll take a look at, you know, just all the people there as well. Just sitting there and enjoying themselves or doing business and whatever. What, what so, do you think about those people, William? <sighs> sheep. Sheep, huh? Sheep, you said, huh? What makes you think they're sheep, William? Well, they're just so unconcerned with what happens around them. And, you know, maybe maybe they're, maybe they're even a bit concerned, but in 10 years, 20 years, the world will chew them up and spit them out. You sound like you're concerned. Are you concerned for them or concerned for something else? Oh, I'm concerned about the future of this city, but that's neither here or there. No, no, that is that is here. I love this city. There's a reason why I moved here, and I made it my home. Oh, how long have you lived here, Els? Uh, I came here. I don't know, around '88. '88. Yeah, I was pretty young. Came here from New England. I kind of heard all this talk, you know, like, well, you got to understand these people, William. As a matter of fact, I don't lump you in with these people, William, or you and I want to be doing the business that we do. I'm sure they'll be brought up later. But you have to understand these people, William, that we see here. They're all trying to stake their claim at something, right? We all do in our own fucking way. We want something. We want to either feel like we're part of something or we want to own something. We all want something in our own way. It's a lot harder than people think to get what you want sometimes. Sometimes you find yourself, I guess, like making decisions that aren't rational. In the fucking 80s, all my buddies were moving to New York City or were moving to L.A. And they were trying to leave these big lifestyle, you know, the cocaine, the girls, the money, Wall Street, all that shit. 
And I'm sitting here in Boston asking myself, what can I do differently than any of these people to get what I want? What's my own? I looked around and I realized there wasn't fucking shit that I could do in that whole fucking area that already hadn't been done before. And I couldn't do it better. So one day I'm fucking reading a goddamn people or time magazine. And I read about Minneapolis. I'm like, what the fuck is in Minneapolis? So on a fucking whim, I bought a fucking plane ticket, came here. And I realized that this place produced people like that. And like you said, chewed them up. But there's a reason why this place creates people like that, William. Because there's so much that goes on here that a lot of people aren't even aware of. There's fucking Fortune 500 companies here that aren't don't have the bravado to be have their face plastered all over the fucking internet or on TV. There's three fucking rivers here that in its day made this city a base of power and trading so i come here and i thought like i said i went to harvard business i did all this shit that i was going to go down the wall street route like everyone else in the fucking 80s and pick up a cocaine habit while at it and i come here and i realize that there's a lot of fucking power in the land here in the soil and real estate and i said fuck it i never took that flight back from that round trip ticket i had i fucking had my shit shipped here and the rest is history but these people are a product of this land Hmm. Now that's a very interesting story, Mr. Ellsworth. I'm not sure if it's uplifting or, or what it is, but it does tell a lot about you. Be honest with you, William. I'm not fucking anything special, man. I just look oh. for people who have similar mentalities as I do. And your whole comment that you made about this city, being concerned about this city, was the gut feeling I had. When I noticed the noise you were starting to make, what, what, why do you why are you concerned about the city, William? Are you a are you a son of the city? Oh, you have no idea. The city is my life's blood. It means everything to me. And for the last couple of years, just so many things happened to me here that you wouldn't even believe. Is that why we have mutual goals when it comes to certain individuals who are not from the city? It's quite possible. I would say, well, certain individuals simply don't belong anywhere, or rather shouldn't. There's a lot of individuals like that, unfortunately. Some of them are just way too fucking worse than others. This one, this one's the worst there is. Sounds personal. This isn't just business with you, is it? No. This isn't just business. <sighs> if it was just business, then it'd be a lot easier. It's just, you know, forget, move on, ignore, not do anything the way they do it. But it's sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. You know, you weren't exactly hiding your steps, your moves against them. That's kind of why, why people noticed what was going on. That's why I reached out to you. It did bring me some amount of retribution from the other side, but considering, you know, this is how you found me, this does make it, made it a more prudent move than it would first seem at first glance. 
I think we'll be successful together. Maybe one day you'll tell me why it's personal with you too. But I can tell right now it's something that you hold close, huh? It's something I can't just talk about. But needless to say, it concerns several of my acquaintances and also simply personal distaste. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about in this case. I may have some inclination to that, but maybe that'll come up and we could talk about that at some other Indeed. time. Do you know much about the city here, William? Have you ever like studied its history? I'd like to think I know more than most, but obviously you seem to be, uh, honestly, I don't know, more than a child of the city. More like a caretaker, patrician. What would you call yourself? I never thought I'd ever be asked that question. <laughs> I am an adopted son, just like you, William. But I have concerns for the city because I feel that sometimes unseen sources of influence and power sometimes bring those that do not want to be seen and noticed. And along with those that do not want to be seen and noticed come some habits, which may bring out the personal side of things. Let's go for a ride, William. And you see him put his finger up for a second. He picks up his, reaches in his pocket, pick up his phone. You see him flip it for a second. He's like, yeah, bring the car around. Yeah. And he goes and hangs up. He's like, come on, let's go for a ride. And you see him like slam his okay. fucking drink and put it down on the table. And he just kind of pulls out this money clip and you see him pull out like a, like a 50 and he just kind of snaps it out, leaves it on the table and turns around and walks. And as you follow him, you kind of see like, like when he walks, you see the heads turn. You know what I mean? Like these people know yeah. who he is, but none of them ever go up and speak to him. And he just kind of like walks through them. As he walks through, you see like there's this nice like luxury Lexus like car where like it's not quite a limousine, but it does have a it does have like the the, the median window that like kind of comes up, you know, between. But when you walk out onto the sidewalk back into the moist air again, you see that this sleek black vehicle is pulled up on the curb and you see that there's this driver he looks like to be maybe like 40 or 50 kind of has a very like tightly trimmed beard gray beard and he has like this suit on but it's not like your you know like quote unquote driver suit you know but it's like a black suit that has like a white shirt underneath like a, a uh with a tie and you see him open the door and you see ellsworth nods he's like thank you and he gets in and he kind of motions you to get in and as you sit in there, you kind of feel like the leather of these seats like creak a little bit. And you kind of see when you look ahead of you and you see there's like the 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 tinted window is is rolled up. And you see Ellsworth and the and there's a middle arm like council between you and him. You see like there's buttons there roll to, to make that window go up and down. And you see you see him tap the button down a couple of times and the window comes down a little bit. And he's like, take us to the witch's hat tower. I, I want to go there first. And you hear go, yes, sir. And you see the window go back up. And you see Ellsworth kind of like rolls down the his passenger side. Or he's behind the driver. You know, you're behind the passenger. And he rolls down his window. You see him just look as the car takes off. You see him look out the window for like a good like two or three minutes. And he's just like taking in the sights. And you can you can you can almost like like taste this moisture that's in the air that mm -hmm. comes through the window. And you could feel like the 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 air conditioning a little bit, like coming through this vent that's like oh, yeah. right in front of you on the seat. And you see him go, sometimes I feel, William, that cities and land and soil, the real estate of 
which for which we people have cultivated from fucking who knows time immoral immortal i feel it is almost like a gift given to us as a species one that 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 it is expected of us to take care of and to pay reverence to you know romans at one time felt that there were gods that had to be paid homage to or even the babylonians when cities were first built and i feel that to this day a lot of the emotions that we carry as a people come from the soil that we put our hands in there's wars that are fought in whole different continents over who owns the dirt of a land if you think about that like really put that into your head and dwell on that how important and you see him like roll down rest of his window and he kind of motions outside of traffic this is to us as a people we are beacons of light cities we bring illumination into this world that was once dark i almost look at it like a way that nature is giving us an entity to communicate with i mean how many times have you seen artists be inspired by cities you never really hear too much about our city inspiring right you don't hear no about it. not really yeah but it does and it has inspired some household names too and as you are the cars driving you kind of feel it start slowing down and you look out the window and you kind of see like you're back into like an area that's almost like a park you know you see like these thick like oak trees that are on the side of the road and you see the car like eventually slow down and you see it's like an eagerness in ellsworth at this time you know what i mean like 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 he is like as soon as the car door is stops he's like opening the door on his side like he doesn't even give a shit the driver opens it up you know what i mean like he has he's excited and he opens the door and he just kind of like closes it and he's like like he's expecting you to get out you know what i mean on your end yeah so when you get out you kind of see him walking towards the front of the car and you see the driver sit is, is still sitting there and you see you're like you're looking around and you see like you're not in this in this city city you see that there are some homes but you see there's like this public park that's like facing ahead and you see a rise above these trees that kind of outlay this public park you see the tip of a tower and you see that you see him point to it and it's like this it's a tower that's probably like only like two stories tall and you see the the tip of it is white you can tell through the night because there's also like some park lights that are kind of around it and you see it has like this metal like arrow that kind of like just comes off the tip of it and you see around the top of the tower called like a railing that's around it so people can like you, you assume go in the tower they can go up there and kind of get a view of the city so come here i got something to show you william and you see him walk down like this bike path that goes between trees and you see him go up to this tower to the base of the tower and you're, you kind of look up and you see it and you see that the base of the tower is painted green while the top is painted white and you see there's this metal door that kind of has like a chain around it and has like a lock and then there's like another lock you see him pull out a key like a set of keys he has and he's unlocking it and he looks at it, he's like i bought this i actually bought this not too long after i uh started being successful here and you see him like pop the chains open and he kind of removes everything and then opens the door and you hear it creak open up as he opens it and you hear him walk in you hear the echoing of his footsteps and as you look and you see him going there you see that like this tower the inside of it's pretty much just like a metal staircase that spirals up to the top you know and you see him walking you can hear his feet like clanking on the metal ding, 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 as he walks up there he's like come on and you can hear his voice like echo from the top do you go up there with him oh yeah so you bought this tower on a whim not exactly on a whim 
But when I heard the story behind it, and as you get to the top, you come along and you're standing on this like little balcony that surrounds it now. And you're outside the tower and you see like just this beautiful view of the city. Like it's weird, like this two foot tower that's kind of like on top of this hill a little bit just has this awesome view. You see like the three rivers, you can see like parts of the three rivers that go through there. You can see like the downtown, you can see bridges. He's like, you ever hear of Bob Dylan? You ever listen to any Bob Dylan in your time, William? I suppose. There's a song he wrote called All Along the Watchtower. Jimi Hendrix covered it. It's been covered by a shit ton of bands. It's part of the part of the public lexicon, I guess. This tower supposedly inspired Bob Dylan to write that song. Supposedly when he came up here on this tower and he looked at this view of the city and he saw it, he realized that the power that this simple little two-story public tower had to be able to bring so much insight into someone. So when I heard that, I came to this tower. I remember it was 1991. I was just starting to get a little bit of influence in here. And I remember walking up to this tower for the first time and taking a look at the city and seeing this view right here and realizing that cities have roots. And these roots sometimes produce fruit for us to appreciate it. And this is one of those. Have you ever thought what would lead someone to build something like this? simply on a hill like this to have a view like this what drives someone to do that i suppose there's always people who are willing to build things simply for their beauty for their aesthetics that and you know but they get got paid a lot of money for it money does 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 get a lot of things done and you see he's like holding the railing. He's like looking out and he pulls out a cigarette again and he lights and he hands you his case without even asking with the zip bulb. I got a confession to make to you, William. Before I met you, I saw you before. You have? Yeah. I saw you at a get-together at a mansion. Ah, yes. The mansion. Oh. Whenever I see new faces there, I realize sometimes that they may be exposed to certain things. Don't think any less of me that I say that I saw you there, William. I'm not particularly fond of such things. Well, neither was I, but in my defense, I was there out of necessity rather than pleasure. You have me intrigued about this necessity that drove you there, because I felt that I was there for necessity too. Oh? You see, yeah, you see, you have to understand, William that along with the beauty and the gifts that cities give us that they produce their own ecology of sorts yes they draw people to them but when you draw humans like us all group us together within the confines of a city things are formed sometimes all by i don't know the reasons why such things are but you can look back to masons you can look back to fucking rumors about roman cults london cults shit like that now i'm not saying this is a cult frankly it's a bunch of degenerates who have money who want who think that the privilege that they have gives them reason to i guess explore those or oh, they want there was a cult involved but that's neither here nor there but oh yes you see, you see him kind of raise an eyebrow to you for a second <laughs> it's just like <laughs> William laughs to himself, you know. I go to those things. 
I guess I have pretty, pretty bland taste in comparison to some, but I go to those things to keep a pulse of the city because there are many layers and no matter what people want to say, there's a caste system when it comes to cities, when it just comes to us as a people, period. We can preach about socialism. We could preach about equality. We could preach about all that. But in our very essence, in our DNAs, we are animals. And the only thing that stops us from being animals is cultured cities. So I go to these things. And I don't go for it for material. for Because I, I guess in a way, respect the unspoken trust and agreement that happens there. But I go there nonetheless as an observer. And I saw you there. And this is when I first started catching whiffs of what you were doing with Roman. I'm just going to come out and say it with Dunstern Organic Consultants and Colburn Trust and Analytical Medical Solutions. It always comes down back to them. The last six damn months. (sighs) What is it, William? What You'll tell me. You'll tell me in your own time. I'll tell you. Uh, Well... I'm sure you know that Roman has ties to Colburn Trust. Yes. Yeah. Well, though Colburn Trust try to buy out analytical medical solutions, but New Horizon Capital management bought out, bought them out in the end. Yeah, I know about New Horizons Capital Management. I know yeah. that they're a cover company for someone involved in they Brentwood are. Industries. What do you know about Brentwood Industries? I know they've bought buildings from me. I know. <laughs> Listen, people like the board at Brentwood Industries and other companies realize that I'm here and I'm always going to be here. And they understand that if they want to play in the playground, they got to get permission from the man who owns the playground. And that's where power of the soil is important. I don't know too much about Brentwood. I mean, I have had no reason to speak to the board. They're rather secluded, and that's fine. There's a lot of people like that here. You won't see them at places like the Constantine. The Brentwood board isn't important. Let me tell you that. They're not. Why is that? They just aren't. They're just puppets. Puppets for someone else. But that doesn't matter. Not really all that important. Do you have history with Brentwood, William? <sighs> a bit, yes. But nothing too negative or positive. Silly history. And I know of some of the people there, but like I said, I'm not too affiliated with them. Don't know much about them, how they work. Just a gut feeling, you know, about the board. No one actually deals with them much because there's no reason for it. Someone no. else does that. Now you have me intrigued. <laughs> Finally, something I know more about than you do. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot you know more about than I do. Here, let's go somewhere else. I got something else to show you. And he kind of like walks down the, turns around and walks down the steps as you hear him echoing and then he locks the door again and he goes back to his car and when he gets back to his car he goes and he tells the driver he's like take me to the marjorie mcneely conservatory and you see the driver go yes sir 
and you see the window go up again. You see him roll down the window again, and he looks at you. And you can kind of like can't make out too much because you know the darkness of and only having the street lights illuminating. And he's like, "My driver knows how to get to these places rather quickly. I tend to visit places a lot in the city when I'm restless." Hmm. So it seems. You know, you're quite the peculiar man. I can't put my finger on you. It's just something, something about you that defies all expectations of everyone that's human. In a good way, or at least so far from what I've known you. You see him lighting a cigarette again. He's like, well, William, you're a peculiar fellow yourself. You make me a little nervous at times. And that's why you see me smoking so much right now. And you see him like as he's taking a drag. He's like, but I understand that there's a fire that burns within you most likely. And sometimes that puts people off. It's very, very dangerous sort of fire. Why is that, William? Why is it dangerous? Well, you know how it is. Just, uh, life puts trials in your way. and You know, you either toughen up, go through them, just do what you got to do, or, or you fail. And if you fail, it can mean a lot of things. It can mean, you know... Maybe you lose something you love, something you need, something you want. Maybe you lose someone, or maybe you lose everything. And well, that's why I make sure I don't fail. So this is more than a game to you, William. Oh, it's more than a game. And what do you want at the end of all this? Like, why do you put why do you put yourself through this? Uh, William was sort of flash a predatory smile. Well, I want everything. And you see there's a moment where you say that and you're looking at Ellsworth. You like like you can't like really distinctly see each other's eyes, but you could definitely see like he sees your teeth in the form of your face and you yeah. can see him looking back at you. And you're usually used to when you do this. Like like just for example, just like a fucking couple hours ago, you were tapping into this to mess with the putinesca to get them to like to, to to not only give you the information but to betray their dominator yeah. in a way and you see this man just looking right back at you when you say that and there's this unspoken like quietness there's this eeriness that that is just going on between you two when you do that and you see him smile for a second and then he goes back to looking out the window and as you're looking at as you're looking at him, there's like about like a few minutes of silence. Like he's not quite saying anything. And then you see the car as you're looking out the window. You see it driving along this windy road. And as it's getting to this windy road, you see like as it kind of seems to go down a little bit, like in a, in a little valley almost, you see this like extravagant piece of architecture. And there's a lot of glass to it. You see like there's these two large glass domes that are on the side. And you can see like very dim light coming from within those domes, but in the center you see is like this, 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 this like gray cement, almost like a, but in a modern architecture feel that that comes to like a like a like a roof that's like a triangle to like a point. And as you ride along this road down, you kind of like go into this parking lot, and you see when the parking lot kind of there's a branch off to the parking lot where this car goes, and it leads to the front of the middle of this conservatory. Uh -huh. and you see like there's lights that are on within it like you look through the front and there's like huge glass panes and there's two glass doors and you can kind of see there's like 
where people they'd be open and people would be walking in and out during the day but you see there's like a dim light that comes from within it and you see that there's like a security guard that's kind of like sitting at this desk in the that's kind of like an entryway and you see on the sides in these huge glass domes you see like plant life like like very lush like plant life and you can kind of like see like a fountain out uh, like a shape of a fountain a little bit in it you know and one on the one on the left and you kind of tell and you've been in here probably before i would say as a child because this building was built in 1914 but you kind of know this is a place where people will go in they'll kind of walk along like plant life and there's like little you know just like a relaxing kind of this is definitely a, a city attraction as ellsworth gets out of the vehicle and I take it you follow. He starts walking up. Okay. And you see the security guard see him and he stands up and you see him kind of open the door. And he's kind of like this heavy set, like 60-year-old white guy. You know, he looks like he's, you know, close to retirement. And you see him go, Mr. Ellsworth, Mr. Ellsworth, you're gonna you're gonna come and visit again. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, Harry, yeah, yeah. I got I brought a friend with. He's like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you need anything, you know where I'm at, sir. I'm right here. And I, I hope you have a good day. He's like, Of course. You see him pat him on the shoulder, and he's like, you could take a nap once I leave. You know that, Harry, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I got you. Like, I mean, you see, as he walks past the security guard with you, and he kind of like pushes open the double doors, and you kind of see this like tiled like walkway, and you can kind of see like all these different like 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 informational posters that are on the wall that are like framed, and you can kind of hear the echoing of the footsteps, and you see like right away he turns, and you see he, he like opens these double doors that lead into one of the conservatory like glass domes and as you walk in there you just kind of you can smell like the the vegetation life and you could hear like the light misting like of of the sprinkler system that are kind of like giving sustenance to these plants and and you can kind of see like this pathway that goes along and you see there's like stone benches people can sit at and you see there's this fountain and you see he just goes and he sits at a stone bench and he kind of just pats the seat next to him and he's like here have a seat william I'm talking. Take a seat. You know, I've never been here before. Huh. You know what's funny is a lot of these places that I'm going to take you tonight were kind of built in the same time frame. You know that uh, where we just came from was built in 1913. This was built in 1914. A lot of places in the city were kind of built in this burst of inspiration. Hmm. Interesting. Would you know why that is? I think as a collective, people drawn to a city unknowingly in some kind of way that i can't explain probably learn to communicate with the city they learn they feel they're inspired and from that inspiration a bubble is built and it bursts and we are given gifts like this you know i'm surprised that a man like you has so much time to visit these places just generally you know yeah when i first I started out that. oh well thank you I appreciate that you respect it. When I first started out, I had to squeeze the time in, to be honest with you. But it was a good reminder of why I was doing everything I did. It really takes sometimes an outsider to come and see what is held within and appreciate it. You know, this is an undiscovered land in a way. This whole soil of this whole region from Minnesota to North Dakota, South Dakota. It's rich in history, man. It's a very brutal land, though. You know, these winters... The summers, people survived when none of this was here. All this was a fort at one point, an army fort, all but 130 years ago. And now we're sitting here. We sit in a building to remind us what gave us the gift to build this building, the soil, the land. 
What have I told you, William, that I think right now another bubble of inspiration is building up in the city? In what way? Well, what if I said that maybe I feel that some people are being drawn to the city because of a, a feeling that something's in the air? Won't deny that. Lately, things have been sort of storm after the calm. At least for me. Don't know how it was for you. Well, I'll tell you this. You seem inspired when you talk, William. You seem like a man who has a purpose and who feels driven. And when you say you want it all, it seems like you can't articulate that because you don't know what all is right now. I mean, you could say all is all. But when I ask you, if I was to ask you, what's the most important thing right now you want? I'm sure you'd have a hard time answering. You feel it on the cusp of your consciousness, like it's on the tip of your tongue, like a craving, but you just don't know what that craving is. It's a taste maybe of something that you had, maybe you haven't had yet. Maybe it's a taste that someone described to you and you want to taste it yourself, but it's there and it's toiling around. And you're probably thankful for it. If I was to guess, William, and correct me if I'm wrong, you probably had a very mundane life up until recently. Exceptionally so. Yes. So with Roman, you said it's personal. And I've had my my reasons to believe that he's very taboo. Yes. He has a lot of support. Yes. And I don't want to sound callous or heartless, William. But people like him, with the rumored taste that he has, have been around forever and will continue to be around forever you want it all william but i'm sure if roman was right here right now we talked to him he would say he wanted it all too and neither of you two could explain what all is i'm going to take a stab right now william as to what the nucleus of your issue with roman is and again you can correct me if i'm wrong yes stab Roman is a despicable piece of shit with what he does. But Roman, he's trespassing. He's coming to take stuff that's not his to take. He's not of this land. It's not just Roman, though. Oh, there's a bunch of them out there. There are. I'm not sure how much you know about them. About his... Well, I don't know. Family, perhaps, I would call them. I have had my people look into the Duncern family. I know they're they're from across the pond. Yeah. I know they're from Scotland and I know they have their hands in banking and they've even established in Boston and New England. Yes. Not entirely what I'm talking about, but it's close. It goes further than just them. And if you'll notice with people he meets and maybe look at their surnames or generally their families you'll realize that it's almost like a, dare I say it, secret cabal just working together in the, in this sort of, in our areas, you know, in the financial world, just going and pushing for their own agendas. And, uh, I just and don't it, like it. I agree with you. Cabals, cults, agendas. You know, you group humans together and you group people together and they say they have a goal. They want to accomplish something and they serve someone, but then they never think about who that 
person or thing they serve serves in return. I don't serve anyone, William. I refuse. I don't need people serving me, and I enjoy the freedom. I go to those parties like at that mansion. Yes, I show my face there. I look at these people living their lives of excess, pushing the boundaries of their sensory and their perception and their sexual gratification and pleasure. I wonder how many of them go home and are ashamed and try to burn those memories out of their head once they do it. They serve something too. And the moment you can cut those strings of servitude, William, the moment that you truly taste that freedom, that is truly when you return the gifts that you've been given. <laughs> uh, you laugh. It's not that easy for someone like me. People like me is- were bound by chains. We're all bound by chains. The man oh, who built yeah. this, the man who built this, right? Uh-huh. Stone, concrete, steel, iron, hard things. Things that man used to build these homage to the gods, these cities of ours. And he does that for the sole intent and purpose to remind us of who gave us the gift of these cities. The emotions to the plant life around here. He didn't serve anyone building this. Who gains from this? This is a public land. They don't make no money. Matter of fact, this place is still open because of me. He didn't build this for any kind of personal profit or servitude. He truly cut the strings that bound him, the chains that bound him. And he was able to return and return in his own way he did on a much smaller scale than we're talking here, William. But you can see what I'm telling you. This is a small picture example. Sometimes when you act as if you're being the servant and you're building such things as this, you can really disguise your true intentions and you can cut those chains without the people who control them realizing that you have. You don't need to stomp around and storm around and buy out stock and harm companies like a blundering child in a playroom. I know why you did that and I can respect that and appreciate that, but you can also do the same thing and cause much more damage and leave no signs that it was you. You have to what ask are you yourself. Suggesting? I'm suggesting you let me mentor you. I'm suggesting that you take this battle that you have and become more subtle with it. You seem to know a lot that goes on. You have given innuendo that there's more than I see that is going on. I'm not, I don't even want to know what it is that you see because that is your tool set. I know you're frustrated. I can sense the frustration of you, but you can serve and you can return any emotions towards the vegetation. Come though, enough talk of this stuff. You religious man, William? And as you see, as he starts walking out of the observatory. Used to be. And you see, yeah, maybe it's time to lighten the mood a little bit. Nothing lights the mood like a good visit to a church, right? <laughs> <laughs> So when you get back in the car, you see Ellsworth tell the driver that he needs to go to the Cathedral of St. Paul. And there's a moment where, like, you could tell that, like, you know, when you're talking to someone in person and you have a deep connection with them and you could tell that they just simply want silence. They want to Mm -hmm. think and collect. And it's like a respectable mutual agreement that occurs on the drive to the Cathedral of St. Paul. And you come upon the Cathedral of St. Paul eventually in St. Paul. It's actually only about a mile away from St. Catherine University where Warren resides at the Chantry there. 
and and the the St. Catherine University that's right by there. And you the vehicle stops in front of this large beautiful Catholic church. There's just just so much artistry, so many hands that were used to build this. You know, this was built during an age where places of faith, Catholic places of faith, were not an easy thing to build. You know, when masonry was an art form that was respected, where immigrants who came from the land where the Holy Roman Church first grew in strength came to America and wanted to show their faith in the Trinity. You know, the stained glass windows that were crafted with with beauty and care stand before you. You see two cathedral tips that are on the top. You see these beautiful double oaken dark wood doors, you know, that are closed right now. You see like these windows that currently have curtains drawn from within and you see this beautiful lawn that's taken care of and you kind of see like this 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 playground off on the side that like kids who probably go here during the summer for some kind of like summer camp or get togethers play at and the car stops and you see Ellsworth get out of it and he goes and he goes up to the steps of these double doors and rather than even open them or anything just turns around and he sits on the steps and he faces out to the street that the vehicle's parked on and he pulls out his gold cigarette container and he pulls out a cigarette and he lights it and he just kind of motions for you to sit hmm. people watching again not so much people don't tend to come out here that often at night more like feeling what people try to emulate i guess like a node a node of hope worship despair you said you're are not a man of faith? I wouldn't say I'm not a man of faith. I would say I'm no longer as religious as I used to be. Why is that, William? If you don't mind me asking, of course, don't feel that you need to. It's personal. Oh, no. I don't mind. By the way, you're really going to make me pick up a bad habit with these. (laughs) We're all afforded one bad habit, William, as long as we moderate it. Oh, well. I think I've gone over the limit already then. But I wouldn't say it was one simple thing that changed my fate. It was rather a large series of events, each of them more unfortunate than the last. And specifically, there was one event that changed my Whole point of view, honestly, on everything, the city, it's just generally, it's happening with the city. It's just sort of tidal wave. Well, what was that event, William? It was a visit from a certain person. This person, well, he got into my home and. Well, that wasn't the point, but basically I was in a conversation of a sort. And let's just say that I didn't have a choice in changing my point of view. I know it's difficult. It's difficult to explain. Faith is. Faith is difficult to explain, William. 
and lately, you know, I've just been just been visiting these places sometimes. You know, like you visit these your cathedral, you know, the conservatory. And I've just been listening, you know, for something. You've been hearing what you've been listening for, William? I don't know yet. It's going to be big. It's going to be huge. That's that bubble of inspiration, William. You see what I'm talking about? You know the city's communicating with you somehow. You just don't know what it wants. You're trying to rationalize it by saying you want it all. That's what I felt when I got here. You to talk to me in 1988. I wanted influence and power and all that stuff, right? I have it now. Look at me. I realized that that's not what I wanted at the time. I realized it was my brain trying to rationalize it. You ever have a talk with someone, William, who's pretty hardcore, fundamentalist, religious, Christian, whatever, Catholic, Christian, I don't care. Well, my parents, or well, at least my mother was that way. Well, she was. Oh, yes. Was she like small towny? What was what was her thing? Well, she was an immigrant from East Germany. You know, looking for oh. a better life. Oh, religious in East German. That was unfortunately two things that didn't go very well together at the time, did they? I'm sure. No. One of the reasons she left, I'm sure. Or fled, rather. Did she ever try to explain to you what faith was during your conversations? No, I don't think she tried to explain faith. It's just something that was. It's not an argument of how or why. It's just expected of me. Mm. She's more old country. I get that. Uh-huh. You try to talk about faith with some of these newer generation mega church types. You, ever, you should you should try it sometime. It's very entertaining. <laughs> they'll, they will tell you. For example, I had one explain to me. And mind you, I don't do it in a disrespectful way. But I say, okay, I'm supposed to have faith that there is a God. You tell me that the burden of proof is not for you to prove to me, but for me to prove to you that he doesn't exist. I can get that. And I had one individual tell me one time that faith was like when you went to the doctor and they did surgery on you. And you didn't know what they were doing on you, but you had faith in that they did it. I was polite enough not to laugh in the man's face, but you have to see where this comes from. In a way, that mentality, along with the mentality that your mom had where it was just expected of you, that too is a chain. Do you understand? I think I do. I come here and I sit here sometimes to remind myself not to be chained for lack of a better term i don't want to use the term enslaved that's readily harsh on people who come here for solace but not to let things unseen unconceptualized in my head to have control over me sometimes we do that william sometimes we sit here and we worry about the control that things that we can't comprehend have over us or we think that one person or one thing or one institution one vice has control over us, but we don't see how they control us. We just think they control us. Do you understand that? Uh, I think I do. You know, there's a specific group of people that thinks along similar lines to you. Mind you, they're very religious. Very fringe sort of group. 
but they do have similar ideas to that. They think they're free, but really, just the chain is unseen. <laughs> There's a lot of groups like that. There's a whole there region are. of the world that is being torn up because of that. William, if we were to do business together and we were to be allies of a sorts and a common goal, I ask this of you. Next time you think to formulate the words to say something's a lot harder than I assume because of you being controlled and chained, that's the word that you used in the observatory, you stop before you say it and you analyze it and you think, is that control just fear and something that's expected of you like your mother and the faith? Or is it something that you have actually seen with your own eyes? Because at that moment, when you look at something that you think controls you and you actually analyze it like that, and you realize that that control is just an expected control, that's part of freedom right there, William. If the childhood version of you knew what you knew now and your mom waved her East German finger in your face and lectured you about not having faith and how it was expected you to have faith, you would have been so quick to listen to her and let her have that kind of control over you, would you? Don't let that same tactic happen to you now as an adult. You bring up a valid point, but if you knew the full story, maybe you would have had a different opinion. Well, no, I think someone like you, yeah, they'd, they'd fight the chains. Of course. And the person who holds the chains doesn't even need to know that you're fighting them. A lot of people control through fear, William. A midget, a charismatic midget of a man was able to take a whole country and channel their fear into the deaths of six million people and a war that ate up the land for which your people came from. Think about that. If you break that down to its baser instincts, down to the root, all it would have taken was one bullet to the head that midget and all that could have been averted hardy do you mind if i call you hardy yes of course william i've been calling you by your name this whole night <sighs> try not to die in the next 30 years <laughs> that is not my plan i enjoy cigarettes too much maybe i should <laughs> stop i think you should enough of this religious mumbo jumbo one final thing I want to show you, then I'll let you off on your own. Okay, William? Of course, of course. What sort of architectural marvel are we going to see now? I'll show you my baby. I'll show you my first thing that I did on my own. Oh, I'm you intrigued. Could... What was oh, that? Pro... It was probably somewhere you've already seen. Ellsworth Towers. Let's go take a look at that, huh? You've been there before. And you see him get, go walk up into the car, and he opens it, and he tells his driver to take you both to Ellsworth Towers. So the drive goes there, uneventful. You pull up in front of Ellsworth Towers, the car does, you both get out. And you actually see people, the Ellsworth Towers is actually kind of like on the corner of two main streets in downtown Minneapolis. And you see like there's people who are walking by. It's about, mm, I wanna say like around, like a little after midnight, it's not dead because there's a lot of like hip chic restaurants that are around the section of bars and you see people are walking and people are actually kind of like, in a, in, a, in a lively mood because like the finally those rain clouds like had burst and it had rained and now it's done and so like they're just kind of like feeling refreshed and vibrant and you could kind of like there's a there's a stark contrast to the last three places you've been in this 
Now you can hear the life of the city. You can hear cars. You can hear water hitting underneath the cars. You can hear people walking by. You can hear like doors opening. You can hear some music. You can hear like a horn honking. And you just, this, this electricity is in the air. And you, when you get out of the car, you see like the Ellsworth stops for a second. He just closes his eyes and you just see he smiles. Like he takes this deep breath and he smiles and he turns around and he's just like puts his hands up. He's like, you hear that? You hear that? That's a city. This is the circulatory system of the city. You know what I wanted to do when I got here, William? I wanted to mark what I felt is the heart of the city, how this city makes me feel. And you see emotion. Like you guys are literally like standing in front of this like tower that's like, you know, 25 stories up. You know what I mean? 30 stories up. And he's like, yeah. this was me and my youngest thinking I wanted it all. And me wanting to mark my flag. This was me paying homage to the inspiration that I felt at the time. The nucleus. This, William, taps into the city. Do you know, William, do you know that underneath the city of ours, these two cities of ours, these sister cities, these twins, there's a whole caravan of tunnels that go underneath it. Moonshiners, bootleggers used it and during the Prohibition days. I wasn't aware. Yeah. Makes sense, I suppose. They used it from bring stuff over from Canada, cheap booze. Do you know that was most likely probably built in a bubble of inspiration that burst? People wanted to take advantage of a system, wanted to hide. People explore them now. There's whole regions underneath that are unseen, unknown, that are recently being discovered again. And this was my homage to all of it, to what is underneath, to what is above, to what is surrounded. Come here, William. And he walks up to like the base of the building. Like you're right up front, like not by the door. You're actually by the corner with like this thick cement that is holding this high. And he puts his hand on it. And he's like, I come here sometimes, William. And I like to feel it under my hand. All of this. I like to show that I don't need faith, that I give homage to what is and what I can see and what I can feel. Touch it, William. Feel it underneath your hands. Yeah. William closes hands and sort of put his hands on the stones. And you feel like the grittiness of it under your fingertips. And there's a moment where you touch it and you hear that sound in the back of your head. You hear the, the waves come tranquil-like, pulling you in and pulling you out with the tides of it. Mm. And from beside you, you hear the voice of Ellsworth. You hear it, don't you, William? You have heard it. You still I do. do. Yes. You know her. You know the city. You know what inspires us, what draws us in, what draws those others in. This is ours, William. This is not theirs. We need to stop them. They want to tap into it, William. They feel it. They are drawn to it. They may not know what it is, William, but we do. It is on us to make sure it stays ours. Yeah, I understand. I agree. I am here for you, William. I will guide you. I will show you. You are the master of your own fate. No one else is. Go on with your life. Do what you are doing, William. Know that I sit here and I will show you the way. I will show you the inspiration. Go. This has been a very pleasant evening, I must say. Uh, very different from its start, which 
Uh, still some work stuff I did in relation to our friend Duncern. Some of his lackeys or connected to a missing acquaintance of mine. I wouldn't you call do- him a friend. William. Hmm? You see him like grabs your shoulders and he's looking at you in your face. Friends, objects, value, control are all concepts you need to let go. They tie you down. Do this, William. Keep going down the path you're going right now. But this is your first lesson. See if those chains that you think control you really are. Test their limits. See if they exist. Don't give away that you're testing them, though. Don't pull too hard. Get free of one chain. And when you do, come and talk to me. Let me know what it is that you identified, how you realized that an expected control was not really control at all. Then we will talk. Is that an agreement, William? For that one lesson I ask you to do, I will provide you mentorship and an ally and a mutual goal. I'll try. Wouldn't that just make you another chain? No, because we're partners. We're, we are children of the city, William. Go. Enjoy the rest of your night. I got business to do, okay? Good night. Hello, folks. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts, or just media in general that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, one which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion so that your media could get the attention you want? Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called Weight Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, and we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there. High Level Games, the industry's first choice in taking your games to the next level. We are a podcast blog and new media network at highlevelgames.ca. We have blog posts about all of your favorite games going up five days a week and a podcasting network with actual plays and shows that discuss role-playing games with more rolling out all the time. We are on iTunes, Twitch, and YouTube. Find out more information at highlevelgames.ca, a site that certainly isn't controlled by a shadowy board of directors of otherworldly origin. That's highlevelgames.ca. Please, help. They're coming. Los Angeles metropolitan area is constantly growing and changing. The central district is full of new buildings. The Hollywood and Wilshire districts, once far from downtown, 
now are part of a which spreads past Beverly Hills and out to the ocean. Why is all this going on in Los Angeles? Why is Los Angeles an exploding city? Neon Masquerade The Demon's Mirror Thirteen Candles Three Chronicles Running Through the Undead Veins of the City of Angels The Esoteric Order of Role Players Actual Play Podcast invites you to drink deeply. Go to eorpodcast.com and search the Duets tag to find out more. <laughs>